In a world of downloadable and streaming singles, our hope with this podcast is to look a little deeper at what influences musicians and see the impact an album, as opposed to a single, can have on an artist's work. We're your hosts, Dave and Tom, and this is The Sound Effect. It's not so easy. You must go through Hades, crossing the river Styx.
1960s, oddly enough, in a weird way, but ultimately finally settled on their name and the final lineup, or not the final lineup, but the lineup that would start their record career in 1972 with their self-titled album, Sticks. And uh, 74, 75, they gained some momentum with a song called Lady from their second album. And uh, that garnered many to start calling Dennis DeYoung the father of the power ballad, Dave. <laughs> and um, by the 70s, they gained predominance over what is now called the AOR, or album-oriented rock market. That's what we're talking about today, Dave. Sticks, kings Sticks. of the AR, AOR rock, prog rock. I don't even know how to describe Sticks. To me, and I'll just go out on a limb here, they started out as more, you listen to those early albums? Oh, yeah. Uh, they feel like they're just a jam band. Yeah. Uh, just, Serpent is Rising? Yeah. The third yeah. album? Yeah. Yeah. And playing, getting better as musicians is of utmost importance. And like, you go back to a ton of those bands. You go back to Journey's early albums before Steve mm-hmm. Perry joined. You go back to... Um, yeah, Sticks, you go back to, uh, shoot, I had a band. Okay. Anyways. Yeah. You go back to any of those bands and they start out as like, it's very important that we get better as a band. And then, Mm -hmm. and then the songwriting comes along. They're still, they're writing songs, but they're getting better. I think, yeah, I think, I mean, I think any seventies group kind of pops into that, right? They're, they're, they're figuring out their sound. They get signed. Oh, okay. We're still trying to figure out who we are. I mean, gosh. I mean, think about how often we talk about Fleetwood Mac, and people probably, oh yeah, never go back and listen to those the Peter Green know, years or yeah, the Peter like Green that, years right? of Fleetwood Mac, right yeah. before before their massive chart success, right? And another band I was think trying to think of there, Chilliwack from yeah Canada, yeah, from uh, Chilliwack. Chilliwack BC started out as like just they were players, and this mm-hmm. is what and this is like this is the band that wrote. Uh, my girl, right? Like, yeah, right. and just a well-written song, but it took years to get there. And but Sticks also, was also there too. Yeah, and not just the songwriting, but also the song development uh, in the way in which they were performing. I mean, you yeah. you talk about Chilliwack there. I mean, you go back and listen to you know uh, to their later stuff. The harmonies mm. are just so Beach Boys, and you're listening to this record, Sticks Paradise Theater, and the oh, yeah. harmonies are just kind of everywhere and oh wow but if you listen to um my my favorite sticks record is the serpent is rising when you're listening to that record those harmonies are nowhere near where they're where they're going to be in the next couple of years right so that element of 
oh, wait a second. We're, we're capable of doing this. We've been on the road. We've, you know, we've been playing together. We're, we now know what we can do as musicians. And we also know what we can do. And the singers. And we also, like you said, know what we can do as songwriters. Yeah. And slugged it out on the road for years. Uh, Tommy Shaw didn't join right away. He came on right. for Crystal Ball, I believe. I think and, you're right. Yeah. And, uh, and that was your, that's your classic sticks lineup right there. And yeah, and then the '77 they have their massive. Yeah, the Grand hit. Illusion, right? Ah, uh, yeah, with yeah. comes their long way, comes which, which I always thought should have been in Wayne's World. I always yeah. thought, like, I know everyone loves Bohemian Rhapsody in Wayne's World. Well, it was and in it South was supposed Park. to be. It was, it was supposed Park, to be so. Guns and Roses, and well, and comes their way was in Geeks and Freaks, right in right. the late '90s. But uh, I always thought because they were a Chicago band that come say they all should have been chanting come sail away like i wonder if that was on the list of songs uh because i i always thought that would have been a good choice true that's good <laughs> i never thought of that but yeah. uh but yeah so riding the wave uh just getting better and like i uh, i'll say in our conversation today with our guests like they made it out of they pretty much made it out of the 70s for a couple for a few years uh, before yeah, kind of imploding, whereas there are so many bands, especially the ones from that fall under that uh, prog rock ilk. Uh, like they were, I wouldn't call them prog. I would call yeah. them there was prog elements and that they just picked up on. There's well, this is yeah. This is, Sorry, this, is this is the conversation like we're, we're gonna mm. have right. Like prog to me is like the early stuff. Like the, you got your heavy prog, your King Crimson, and then the bands that kind of broke out of that ELP. Yes. Uh, and and then the bands that kind of changed things. You had like Rush come in and and adopt that proggy playing. But at the end of the day, they just wanted to play. They just wanted to play mm -hmm. well, and they wanted to write good songs, all of them. And tastes change, of course. Some bands adapted easier. I think Dennis DeYoung and, and Tommy Shaw just knew how to write really well and picked up on what they were getting back from fans when they played live like wow they really liked that more straight ahead section in that song let's kind of try that and see what happens you know like there's tons of their their lyrics leading up to this are not very proggy even this album like the, right just the, right. it's more the theme you can throw this into the prog era but it's uh like something like blue collar man or babe those aren't those aren't prog songs. <laughs> no, I, and that's where I think probably uh, something like the third album that is probably that's that's probably their most proggy. And you and you look at when that comes in, and that's coming in at a time when you've got this prog explosion. You have not only prog bands, but just players who could play right: Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, uh, Black Sabbath, um, Iron Butterfly, whoever you want to put in that in that collection so you had bands who probably five years earlier were just doing kind of straight ahead kind of maybe probably birds inspired rock or now suddenly like holy crap we have to step up and start to play and really and brought that forward right yeah whether it was proggy or whether it was experimental or just bringing in all those influences that they were starting to, 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 and again, I mean, no, I don't think we can undercut here. Like the, the rise of funk in the seventies sure. at this point in time. And, and disco, you probably, right? so. yeah, lots of rhythm sections listening to this going, okay, we, 
we got to compete, right? Yeah. Um, so then we have this album coming out uh, January 19th, uh, 1981, just right at the very, very start of those 1980s, if you think of the 80 in 1980 as a 10. Um, no. Their 10th album, the other 10th album, uh, January 19th, 1981, Paradise Theater. Uh, it is one of their most successful and critically claimed albums. The album is a concept album set in the fictional Paradise Theater, a venue that has uh, saw its heyday in the 20s and closed in the 50s. And uh, narrative sort of revolves around that rise and fall of the theater, but also that rise and fall of the culture of America. Apparently, Dennis D. Young wrote a lot of this um in the uh in the shadow of the reagan carter election in 1980 and how his country was really divided and said you know it, it made him think about how during these times of division love is the one thing that kind of keeps us all together and 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 tries to uh and, and puts together that concept based on that um yeah, so it's a it, it, that's the sort of context for this record. I was kind of amazed that it was the tenth album by by mm, Sticks. I know, but but it did make sense. I mean, they are a band that almost falls apart in the mid seventies, right? Uh, after Lady, they they kind of don't really have the hit they were expecting, and then luckily enough, kind of um, come sail away, kind of brings them out of that, right? Um, and then they're catapulted to be like massive stars by this point right yeah like they're uh, um, by the time by the time this they're touring this album like they're just they're superstars they're one of the oh, biggest yeah. bands in the world that's and right and like i say it it's almost a shame because they were they were just masters on the stage and like i said uh i i saw them in the mid 90s when they regrouped without dennis DeYoung. Mm-hmm. they put on a fantastic show like these guys just know their songs inside and out they're writing they're writing new songs and playing them live it's you know it's just what you do you're they don't let it they don't let people get them down and become a nostalgia act you, you can still write a song and play it and maybe someone out there someday will just listen to it and go man that sticks album from the early 2000s that's amazing tonight's the night we'll make history as sure as dogs can fly to tie back the hands of time and stay with you here tonight So take your seats and don't
is the basis for Vancouver's progressive indie band, Ben Sinister. Uh, they have been making music for over 20 years and released six albums and four EPs in that time. Uh, Matt joined the band on bass in 2012, uh, whence their stellar 2012 album, uh, Small Fame, uh, came out. Uh, their latest single, Price You Pay in Hot City, was released July 14th. They are currently working on that very next album to be released, as you said, in March 2024. Matt, welcome to The Sound Effect. Well, thanks for friggin' having me. Yeah, I think I actually joined in 2011, technically. Oh, okay. Uh, because we had to write Small Fame before it came out in 2012, and I was there for that. So There knows? you go. <laughs> it's, Years it's are like, blurring. I don't even know. It's interesting. You guys have been like a stalwart on the West Coast for years, and, and people know you in Vancouver. Uh, they know the sound of Ben Sinister. It's even interesting when you released a single last week. It was awesome to just even look through the people who are excited about that new single coming out likes, and there's some big names on that list. So you've had this like massive impact on, on the Vancouver music scene. Uh, but for people who don't know your sound, how would you describe the sound that is Ben Sinister? You know, I like to just describe it as the easiest way possible. It's rock and roll. You know what I mean? You know, like, like straight up, you know, we're, we're influenced from Queen to the Doobie Brothers to Elton John to Madonna. You know what I mean? It, it's really, you know, a very eclectic mix, especially with four uh, different cooks in the kitchen. We definitely all come in with our own spices, that's for sure. But hey, if you've never heard of us, it's I guess it's prog rock and roll. I just like to call it rock and friggin roll. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the yeah. album you're talking about today. Those band, that band, and other of that ilk got labeled that same kind of thing, right? They were coming out of the mm -hmm. prog of the late seventies, but refined the sound a little bit to make it not easier, but just different than what maybe what they uh, people had been accustomed to when you say prog rock in the first five years of the seventies, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Especially like the Sticks record we're going to dive into is that I was listening to it right before we talked, and again. I just kind of have remnant. And when I was listening to it, I said, well, this is this is just rock and roll. And obviously there's a bit progressive, meaning like a little more fancy rock and roll, like it's little tech. There's a riff in there. It's not just four chords or an ACDC kind of rock and roll, um, but it's still rock and roll. And man, it was it was very it was a very fun listen again. That's for sure. What other uh, before we get to this record, this this uh, the sticks record we're talking about today, what other stuff has influenced your sound uh, that you, that you bring? Maybe less to the bit, less as a full band, but maybe to you as a bass player. What what stuff started to influence you when you were younger, and what stuff influences your sound kind of in general? Yeah, you know, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a classic bass player where it comes to you know, like Paul McCartney is just you know God to me. Always love it, but it, it's more just how he writes a bass line. It's very much it's going to be complimenting vocals. It's still going to have its own voice. It's still going to be melodic, but it still kind of carries a song. So I quite love, you know, Paul for, from Wings, from, you know, Paul solo stuff a lot, not just Beatles kind of Paul. Just Paul in the spectrum is a lot of uh, a lot of influence on me, but like ELO is also, you know, I love those kind of grooves. Like Daft Punk for some reason, you know, that that kind of stuff pops into me. Like Huey Lewis in the News, I love their bass player. It's ridiculous, but I'm an old jazz cat, so like Charles Mingus, massive, massive, huge Mingus fan. Or if I want to get really fancy, the Jaco Pistoriuses of the world and that kind of stuff have definitely painted me all over the place. But then I listen to a lot of like 
probably what 13 year old girls listen to right now like i listen to weird bedroom pop that 20 year olds write right now and it almost sounds like 90s kind of sad grungy shoegaze stuff that like drives me wild these days and again simple bass lines you know so everything from like weezer to paul mccartney you can find me dipping my toe in i'm i'm weirdly not the getty lee guy or the the flea guy that a lot of people will peg upon me watching a show but uh but yeah. isn't that isn't that nice you're you're open to that right and for sure the, the listening to the different because at the end of the day it's a performance and you should be able to like listening to you know in my younger days listening to thriller and you're like not a big michael oh, jackson yeah. fan but listen to that listen to the sound of those drums listen to that groove and live yeah, drums man. back then right and yeah the bass lines too like funky but sped up and just in the pocket and it was great and you can appreciate yeah, the, that yeah the quincy jones production is just insane or, or you know what i i love listening to old 70s herbie hancock albums mm. Like there are like, I believe it's called Sunlight and it is just, it's like Daft Punk before Daft Punk. There's decoders on everything. The bass lines are super funky and really, really like, you know, 15, 20 years ahead of their time kind of thing, but very cool production. Yeah. All, all sitting there to be borrowed now and then as an influence too, right? Like it's just like, man, oh. that, that little section in that Stanley Clark solo is a sick bass line that someone could like. I'm just going to extend that. And it's that cool. For sure. You know, you're just, you're just influenced Absolutely. by it. That's the best part about jazz is because jazz is so much going on in yeah. every jazz song that if you do find like an eight second part that has just moved you beyond belief, I highly doubt anybody else is really, oh, that's <laughs> that, you know, that's 138 of Charles Mingus. You know, right. uh -huh, you There'll know? be one guy. There'll be one guy. <laughs> <laughs> There's always one. Mingus did it better. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll give him a free t-shirt. <laughs> is it, um, I, I think when I hear your band play though, there, there is a certain amount of freedom that you as musicians seem to have. And this idea, like I get the feeling that you're probably, pumping each other up a little bit like yeah do that like have fun with that like does that as a as a former jazz guy does that bring some freedom to your playing and and in the like maybe i'm reading it completely wrong maybe there's a dictatorial uh fashion to the band but i'm thinking there's probably some freedom that you as a jazz guy get to kind of bring to ben sinister i i think that's my favorite part about playing in this band like you're pretty spot on on it where it comes to like we're we're, we're pretty we know what we want to record like when we go in and we record it like those are the parts and in the moment that it, that's what feels right but if you see us live like even we just finished a tour and we're playing price you pay and hot city and, and a handful of other songs from the upcoming release and i'm already probably playing it completely different than i recorded um and then you find new moments and and sure like happens to i'm sure everybody but you know we play hot city a certain way and said oh man i wish we recorded it that way that was a really cool kind of thing that we did at the end but i think that's what makes our band so fun is you know you come to a show and it's like whoa it's it's just a little extra sugar it's a little extra sprinkles it definitely has something new and and we do get pegged with wow you guys are so good live you know we listen to the recording it's a little different but and it, it's we're always chasing the dragon with trying to uh to, to match the recording to our live performance but you're pretty spot on with that that kind of like dan our singer too also kind of you know jazzy dude like we're always just kind of going with it and me and nick the drummer if we accidentally connect on maybe a fill or a moment sometimes like oh that was kind of cool we should try that again and 
it just keeps evolving and evolving and evolving.
you got back to us right away with your pick. It was pretty. You said like I know what my pick's going to be if it's me, and you and you went and picked Sticks's um, 1981 album Paradise Theater. Um, what is it like? I'll be honest with you. This is an album that kind of like when it came to me, I was like, okay, this makes sense for the band and the sound of the band. But all right sticks uh let's uh what was it about this album that made you want to dive into into its influence on you pre-larry gowan sticks pre-larry gowan sticks yeah that's right lawrence gowan sticks this is probably the easiest like you're right like i think i answered within a split second you know <laughs> what i mean and and i texted the board and said hey anybody want to do this interview but me i said i'm picking sticks and they said no that's right and how that <laughs> album even kind of came came to the forefront uh especially for this album again like we were in the pandemic we were writing but i don't really feel like our heart or or our soul was really in the writing i think we were just getting together to do something and kind of avoid that uh the the alone you know weird melodramatic world we lived in for a couple years there so we were just kind of getting together and kind of going through the motions and kind of when we knew we were gonna okay well we've written songs we probably should do a record we should probably do this we kind of stopped and said well it's like do we even like any of these songs yet do we you know or you know or have we just been doing kind of going through the motions so we actively sat down and said like what the heck do we want to sound like like we were covering you know uh, it keeps you running by the doobie brothers we even dusted off china grove by the doobie brothers and you know, all these other kind of classic songs. And I remember, man, I'd love to write a, you know, China Grove one time. And I've been, uh, I have an exercise bike in the other room. So I've been sessioning albums as I just throw it on, jump on the exercise bike. And I was sessioning a lot of sticks. And we all did a wish list of kind of albums to inspire us for this new record. And uh, what would kind of the sound be? And everybody, when I posted Sticks, um, Paradise Theater, everyone's like oh my god that like that kind of just like that sounds like a record that we didn't write like it sounds like us but it's not us and we all really connected to it i remember sending it to joseph our guitar player months before we had the conversation being like man this really reminds me of what your guitar tone and kind of your guitar approach really is a lot of these really tasty parts and i was the guy sending him like at a minute 42 of you know song four check out that guitar tone and he instantly was like, oh, yeah, man, I see what you're saying. And Nick, our drummer, was like, yeah, it, it has all the exact instruments that we play. There's keys, there's bass, there's drums, there's guitar. This is this is crazy. And then you listen to it, and it has hints of Queen, and it has hints of a little bit of ELO and kind of this dramatic, almost if it was a musical album. And I think that's probably what they were going for, more of a concept record front to back. But it just kind of sparked a lot of life in us to uh, kind of dive back into our, our roots. If you listen to like Animals, like our, our older album from I think 2000, maybe 13 or 14, that one live off the floor recorded in San Diego, um, really rock and rolly and has like best of you, eight minute long kind of homage to Queen. And I think we were, you know, we ventured into kind of more modern writing and all this other stuff with Heard It All Before and and walk the other way and some of these other tracks like Shannon kind of tapping into almost like our our 80s, you know, uh, 
uh, you know, oh God, why am I forgetting his name? Jesse's girl kind of style. Springfield. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Try, trying to just kind of write again, it somehow comes off proggy, but we were definitely trying to write like a, a, a pop song along those lines. So when we kind of tapped into this record, everybody's like, oh yeah, we should. 1981 sounds good to me. And that's kind of what we captured. We, we started really, really kind of hitting our stride with, with our writing kind of wide open um, when we started kind of listening to that. And, and again, probably more of the minute by minute Doobie Brothers stuff too. But I picked this record because it was definitely the gateway for this album that we started writing with and really sprinkles of that kind of stuff and sparked our our late 70s, early 80s uh, rock and roll feelings back into a forefront. Which is great because Styx doesn't get a lot of love. A lot of, <laughs> you know? And I did see them one time uh, when it was the year Larry Gowan joined and they played the arena here in town and they blew my socks off. And like, you know every song that they're playing, right? Like it's all the hits yeah. and they have so many. Great live band. I think I re-listened to Babe which obviously on a, on a different album, I think I listened to like at least 40 times in a row one day because I was just like, the writing, again, I kind of get really introspective when I listen to a song, I get analytic on kind of the writing and, and they kind of edge you with Babe. Like you want another course, but they never come back to a course. It is very interesting structure. I think it's like verse, course, and then it goes right into a bridge. And then it's like a course outro kind of thing and it just makes me want to restart the song. So that was kind of actually an inspiration for Hot City. We we were writing that and we we're like, traditionally we should go back to a course or something. I'm like, but what if we just, what if we just stopped it here? <laughs> and we all just kind of dug it. We're like, okay, yeah, and live we'll extend it and have a little fun, do a disco ending or something. But that song I just got wicked addicted to. And then then I just opened it. Then as you said, sticks usually gets the opposite of love. And when I when I say sticks, people will groan or think it's cheesy or it's tacky but man i went and listened to all those albums and they're all pretty badass yeah at least up until paradise theater yeah but, uh, yeah i'm gonna say yeah. i listened to kilroy just to be sure and like yeah <laughs> really mr Roboto was pro is probably the best thing on there and iconic yeah. song right but there isn't anything else that nope there is nothing it it ended with paradise theater it, for sure and you can tell like like they were like well we need to write a hit <laughs> Let, let's like and that happens to all bands like we, we've even hit that where where it's all about us they were like okay well we better kind of just concentrate on maybe maybe songwriting and, and seeing what we can get best out of songwriting um which sometimes paints a different picture but mr roboto does rules <laughs> But of course isn't uh, i i wonder if maybe they didn't continue babe because he was it was like a baton stick in a relay and he was passing it on to everyone else and saying you go and write your own ballads now and like it was just like yeah. became the it, it does become the template for like that port chord progression and the, the drum lead up to the chorus is just like that's the sound that every power ballad that's going to come afterwards follows right like i think of that late 80s era of everything from you know def leppard to alias to sheriff uh everyone had their big massive power ballad and when you hear babe and you're like mm, that's where that drum part that drum fill right before the chorus is is the template right 
Van Hagar, of yeah. course. You, oh, got, yeah. you know, right yeah. now, he'll kill you on that. Like Richard Marks, that kind of stuff, yeah. definitely. Oh, yeah. Like, for sure. Uh, I mean, even Rex Springfield, you mentioned earlier, right? Yeah. Yeah, we we did a couple pandemic covers and we we covered all by myself and I remember listening to that and knew, all by myself. I'm like, oh, babe, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> but uh, you know, we we might be we might be coining this the original power ballad. Is babe yeah. the original? Could be. Although lady, ten years before, but I, yeah. but I think he might, by the time he does babe though, it's like he's went. Now nah, this is going to be like crack. People <laughs> people are going to be all over this, and uh, you know I think yeah we. That's where it can. Oh, it's because yeah. they cut that song so short. That's why yeah. they, you, you want to hear seven more courses. They're like, no, you have to listen to it again. Yeah. <laughs> Buy the Here whole album, was, please. It, <laughs> it was made for streaming in advance, right? Yes. <laughs> I, I, you know, they were, again, 50 years early, but I'll You're right. It. That's a great point. Absolutely. There, There's the, yeah, screw it. Get to the verse. Get to the chorus. Bang, bang. And we're done. Next song. You guys have a sound, though, that kind of embraces that 70s sound. Do you guys ever get tagged with that whole thing of, like, taking taking in and, and befriending those sounds, that cheesy sound, a little bit? It's funny. I've never – and listen, let's get back to your cheese. Remember, there's a, a ton of different cheeses, yeah. and they're all pretty delicious. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? It's being Absolutely. called cheese. Absolutely. I cannot take cheese as an insult at this That's point. Right. You know That's what right. I mean? Or, and, and I think, you know, oh, you, you finally connected Thin Lizzy. Oh, the lyrics are a bit cheesier. This is cheesy. <laughs> well, we all have our brand of cheese, whether it's sliced or very fancy bocconcini, you know? Well, you know, it, it's still cheese at the end of the day. And uh, I will always embrace it and bake it to 450 degrees. But um, as a us label cheese... I don't really ever get that very often. Yeah, I, I haven't. To, to be honest, that's not something that's ever come up. Um, I, I can admit that we definitely like, listen, we wrote a song called Rock and Roll that I remember writing the lyrics in this apartment with the boys. And we're like, rock and roll is we're like rock and roll is rock and roll. And we're like, done. Amazing. <laughs> And we laughed about it and we're like, it kind of sounds badass, but it's absolutely tacky. It's absolutely cheesy. But when you really listen to that song, and I'm really proud of that song, that song has kind of exactly the, the, the almost a seven layer cheese dip of <laughs> homages from Huey Lewis to, you know, Tears for Fears vibes to, you know, I think we dropped Bowie's name in it too. Um I, I will rightfully admit there is uh, sprinkles of cheese everywhere on our stuff, but I don't think we get that much for reception. We get a lot of just like we get called rock and roll, yeah. and that's what I yeah. want to be. And called, that's what so. I that's what I get when I listen to your stuff. It's like no, there's a sincerity there. Like this isn't yes, this isn't this isn't Greta Van Fleet, right? Mm -hmm. Like so yeah. obviously trying to sound like someone. And I'll say like there's a couple other songs I do actually like, but you know. To me, at times it's a little insincere, but I don't get that with you guys. To me, yeah, it is mm -hmm. rock and roll, and I can see sticks in there. Maybe a little Kansas 100%. too, if you're looking sticking into that poppy prog stuff. So we have a song called "Teacher" off of Animals, and like love that song. I think it's probably my favorite song to play, and it's it's probably our heaviest song to play. It gets pretty wild no matter where we play it, and at the end we bust out into Kansas Wayward Son just for like. 
about 15 seconds, just the riff. And everybody's like, oh, my God, they're going to play it. And they're like, just kidding. Nope. The end. Uh, so, of course, like the Kansas is all the way to like Boston to Doobie Brothers to like Hall and Oates massively to, you know, oh, I'm trying to think of his name right now. Is it is it Joe Jackson? Doo-doo, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Doo-doo, sure. doo-doo. We always wanted to cover that song, but we just didn't think anybody would know it. Like we cover It Keeps You Running by Doobie Brothers. And sometimes audiences are that's their smoke break. And I got to say, out of all the covers we do, like we'll do Super Tramp, Logical Song every so often. That's kind of a staple in our set. Uh, But for some reason, people just don't know that song. And I think it's one of our best covers. Like we play it really good. I'm like, damn, I think we play this a little better than the Doobies sometimes. (laughs) And people are just like, oh, sorry, it's drink break time. (laughs) This is is great. What are you guys doing? Super trip, man. Come on. (laughs) And then our bubblegum one, how we get them back is we've started covering jump as an encore. And you'll just, every dude in the whole bar won't dance the whole set. And as soon as, like, the synth hits, that's it. They just, they fucking run from their beer and they're already starting a mosh pit. I often think when we talk to to people on 90s albums and there was this idea in the 90s that you you kind of killed your idols and you didn't talk about them. And then I think with you guys, I think of someone like the Duckward Lewis Method, uh, these bands have sort of said, nah, no, nah, I love the 70s and I'm going to own that love of the 70s. And it's going to I'm going to bring out those big mood keyboards and I'm going to make that sound our own uh and i think today's point i do think there's a genuineness there um that maybe other bands when they're trying to hide that too much it becomes like glaringly obvious that hey you know what that does kind of sound like kansas and you're just not admitting (laughs) that you're trying to kind of sound like kansas right so uh so for for this record you're you're all get on board you're all now behind sticks paradise um paradise uh paradise theater is there you talked about how you you everyone was on board for the sound right like so that and was there any naysayers in the group or was it all like yes this is this is the sound for for us we all like um again we all come from such eclectic vibes and bring our own kind of thing but and to get us to agree on one thing sometimes is a bit of a battle um but that one seemed pretty like everybody was pretty like oh that's dope like there's always one song or, or that again, like I was just sessioning it on a small little speaker here. And I'm like, I can hear the bass clearly right through this tiny speak, man, whoever mixed this, whoever produced it, this whole record just sonically really sounds cool. And even when we sent, uh, we worked with Ben Kaplan, who has done mother, mother records, and you know, five alarm funk and all these crazy, crazy bands. And like, I sent him that for the reference while he was mixing us. Hey man, just take a listen to this. Like, I think, you know, everything's pretty balanced there. And, that's kind of a, we, we would like price you pay, especially coming kind of out of that era. We want it to have that 70s feel. And where it comes to admitting our influences, well, what is everybody so scared of, you know? Like Oasis was trying to be the Beatles, right? Like, okay, Greta Von Fleet, if they want to be Zeppelin, fuck, nope. who else is trying to be Zeppelin? At least, you know, they're trying to be a cool band instead of somebody else. And they're getting a lot of flack. I'm like, let the kids dress in their sparkly outfits and mimic Led Zeppelin. I don't see you trying to do it. What are you trying to be? 
You know, everybody's trying to be Limp Biscuit now. It's like, I don't know, man. I'd prefer people trying to be Led Zeppelin yeah. over that a little bit. Well, there was such a pushback what, in the uh, pushback in the early nineties too. It's just like, no, Zeppelin is dead. No, don't don't tell anyone you like Kiss. Right? Like it's uh and then it, I think no, no, after no, I think no. after a while it just got to the point where like people were discovering like well, I'm a little tired of Oasis and the Foo Fighters. What's this Kiss band someone said they liked? <laughs> and, and like now you just go to H and M to get your Kiss T-shirt, right? So yeah. what are we what are we talking about? Yeah. You know, it, it's it's music. Everybody can listen to any kind of music they friggin' want. It's available for almost free everywhere. You can go like, you know, my li- my list's ridiculous. It goes from sticks to like a girl named Biba Doobie who opened for Taylor Swift this past thing. You know, like I do whatever you want, whatever your mood is. We're all you know human beings that that you know one one minute you feel like this, one minute you feel like that. But what's really cool is there's always going to be a song to get you out of a funk or make you a little happier or inspire you to write a rock and roll record, right? So, you know. And that could be anything. That could be that could be anything. Could be a Duran Duran song, right? It's just like, man, I really dig that speed, that that riff. It's gonna make it heavier. Yeah, man. Well, like yeah. like heard it all before and walked the other way stuff. Like I was listening to tons of nineties hip hop, like a lot of Dr. Dre. And me and Dan would go out to Lighthouse Park, which is like kind of a beautiful, like overlooks Vancouver and the, the whole thing, super silent. We were just sitting there and I'm like what if what if the melody was a little more like like Nate Dog style? Maybe we can approach some of this like Nate Dog. And sure enough, we're incorporating weird Nate Dog '90s stuff. And then you listen to the song; it sounds still sounds like it's influenced by the '70s. So really, it's just a palette that we're painting from. And, and you know, no one's safe. You know, if I want something, if I want to mix Thriller with Sticks, we're gonna do it. Or you know, some of these new songs are you know mixed with bon jovi and wings at the same time and you would never know that that's what we put in our our cooking pot to uh manufacture another kind of six minute frog rock rock and roll song you know isn't it great though that there really are no more tribes you had your tribes back in the 80s the 70s you were either the the heavy metal or you like disco that was it those were the lines I, I I love disco. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> disco rules, but uh, but yeah, tribalism. Sure, if, if you want to get there, and I think we all we all have our secret bands that we still like to gatekeep a little bit, and it, sure. it always has that that you know it's just mine kind of feel to it. And hey, go go ahead and, and listen. There's still there's the, the, I know a dude that's still he's just like he's in a punk band. He dresses like he's in a punk band. He only hangs out with punk people there's still scenes, there's still these kind of things, but I think with the internet, it's like, listen, you want to have a tribe, you can go on Reddit and find a subreddit and join your little tribe <laughs> oh, and boy. talk about it to uh, the wits ends. Uh, I don't, I, I have no tribe. I don't think I have more of a rainbow that I just glide down rainbow road, Mario Kart style and nice. whatever hits me or inspires me. You know, I think I've been in this industry enough that if something hits my ear, just right, it doesn't really matter what, where it comes from. If it's cool, it's cool. Like Nickelback will get crapped on quite a bit, you know, and that's fine. Go ahead. Whatever. Really nice guy to me. But I saw a German cover band in the Olympics here came in and they were doing an upstroke reggae version of this is how you remind me. (laughs) And I heard it. I was like, 
that was actually a pretty good song. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I don't like how it was delivered, perhaps by that band, and it, may, it might not be my thing. But that doesn't mean that the melodies or the song or or how they framed it um, isn't kind of cool. So hearing it in an upstroke, this is how you remember. You're like, oh, that's actually pretty fun. Okay, my bad. <laughs> so, Do you think with uh, with Paradise Theater, Sticks had kind of figured it out? I definitely think they went in there thinking like this is going to be for like they had an idea for the whole suit. You know what I mean? From one to because they have all like the little interlude yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. Like, you know, hinting at what is it? Uh, too much time on my hands and all that. They're, they're starting it with right. The A.D. things, yeah. the A.T. Mm-hmm. 1928, A.D. 1958 to end it. And then the last song is what, like 30 seconds of a just like a goodbye musical thing. Yeah. I have a feeling they might have been listening to the who Tommy or something like that. And, you know, some of these bands that were like, Oh man, we got to do like a concept record or, you know, we want to do like a musical kind of anthemic record kind of in that vein. So I think they definitely like, and to write one of those records, you have to walk into the studio pretty much knowing A to Z, right? You want to know where that track one is this. We already know track one is here. This is how we're getting to it. It wasn't like, well, I think, you know, you know, Snowblind should be number two. It's like, no, Snowblind was meant to be later in that record and, and telling a story from the front to the back. So I think uh, after the wall too, right? Pink Floyd's the wall. Yeah, yeah. Ex- I think exactly. that was like. Village Green. Yeah. Village Green. Yeah. I think the studio, the labels were like, can anyone else do this and maybe like it a little more accessible or just, just do it? And I think Sticks just rose to the occasion. They're like, "Fuck yeah, we can do this." So no problem. Dennis DeYoung, yeah, I think and- ha- he has that background in that, right? Like that's his thing. I, I feel like the the AD nineteen twenty eight and the AD nineteen fifty eight are his his influences all over. And even Rockin' the Paradise with the big intro, right? Like that's so just cool. that's just yeah, exactly. And uh, and then you got Tommy Shaw there. Let's rock it up a bit. And call it the Paradise Theater. It's obvious that they most likely wanted it to be a musical or be seen in a theater or theatrics or or referencing it. And you see, like the artwork too is just yeah. a theater. Like it's for me, it's it's painfully obvious they were definitely going down that route. And I friggin' love it. I was in high school musicals my whole life, you know. So I love musical theater and that that kind of vibe that you can add to the music too. And again as I'm sessioning on a, a, an exercise bike, when most of the time you just don't want to be on that thing, I just couldn't wait to, I'm like, oh man, this, this record, I felt like I was watching a movie, you know? So that's always fun when a, when a record can transport you to, to imagining what it would look like, which is, is, you know, lost on just, oh, it's just one song, but it kind of progresses all the way through that album where you're, you're almost on a journey with it. And I just, uh, I think it's super fun. And it packs a wallop at 40 minutes, right? It's just, this, yeah. this This was the great thing about the 70s and early 80s before CDs. It's like, we'll give you 35 to 40 minutes and it just makes you want to listen, like those classic albums. You just want to, as soon as it gets to the end, you just want to turn them over, start all over again. Totally. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, and, and the tones on it are, yeah. that was a big thing for me. I just like, I really like the bass tone. Like the guitar tone for me is just, top notch some of the synth stuff that they chose like all of it is just really tasty it's amazing to think that uh produced by them like you talked earlier about the production i mean uh, so much self-production is is almost detrimental at times right and you're listening to this and thinking 
Like I, I thought the same as you. I went, man, this is a nice produced album. And then went back and was expecting to see someone with a massive resume. And it's like, wow, self-produced. Uh, now, I mean, not slouches in the engineering department, but I mean, still, I mean, pretty good when you consider that they're a band also known for their tensions, right? Between uh, some of the guys to sit there and think that they produce this as a band is is amazing because i'm with you i think sort of the, some of the production choices are are really really great and i mean like you said tasty choices when it comes to a lot of those sounds and so all of what you said is super relatable to our band because we always get a producer in and like we're pretty much co-producing it the whole time right we're pretty much picking at it obviously you know we like to work with certain people because of how the, the sounds they get out of us but foolish games the record before we self-produced that one and and you know we are very guilty of you no know, it, it's it's the way it is when we walk in the studio people will try and well maybe we do this and maybe we do that and we're always happy to try but a lot of the times it comes back to kind of the original plan that we had and as for tension we all have tension in our band too where it comes to that creative process and i think that's what makes a good soup as well is like you know, living on that tent, we all just want what's best for a song, right? And we all, again, approach it in a different way that, you know, fi finally getting to that point while we are, you know, going through those things is, uh, again, relatable. And what's funny, I was like, oh, I got to see who produced this record. Maybe, maybe they're still around. Maybe this is the guy we call for this record or something. And it's like, oh, it's fucking sticks. Okay, well... <laughs> Tommy Shaw and, returning anyone's calls these days? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, well, I guess, you know, and it just, it, all of that just, it just clicked so much for me. I'm like, of course it's self-produced. That's what we do. Of course it kind of sounds like us. Oh, oh, okay. So all of those similarities, I think, is what makes that album uh, a special one for inspiration, at least for me and kind of the group to connect with and, and to kind of push forward with some of these songs, it definitely was a, a relatable kind of thing to get us back into it. Well, that's just what they did in the 70s. You worked to eventually produce your own album. And you got yeah. to the point where like, okay, we could produce this ourselves, but we should probably bring a referee in to help us with some <laughs> of those decisions. You know, they, I like that term. It is the 70s. Uh, so... But that's what everyone worked for. So it's nice to hear like you guys work for that too and you're open to collaboration like that's that's just what it is whereas so many of the big acts it you have to collaborate with this top-notch producer the producer has to be more famous than you almost you know yeah and they're probably co-writing a lot and they have a co-writing yeah. team and they have a co-writing you know they have credits with the producers and this and that and you know i i like to say that we're pretty proud that exactly what you said is we are kind of a throwback to the 70s not just trying to be like a Greta Van or Van Fleet or whatever, a throwback on purpose. We just kind of are like, we, we write that way. We write the classic way they probably wrote in a room. Like I remember watching that, the, the Beatles documentary um, on back. Disney plus or whatever, the, the Peter Jackson one. And I was like, Oh, it's going to be so special to see the Beatles. Right. And I remember watching this. Well, that's, that looks like our jam space. That, that looks <laughs> that's like the way, we, yeah. Like this. that's the way we talk to each other. You know, oh, somebody's late. Oh, there's tension between those yeah. two, the main writers or whatever. Of course there is. And oh, and they mash two of their song ideas together to create this song. That happens to us all the time. It, it was so relatable and refreshing seeing that and being like, oh, okay. So we are like we're a throwback in the most natural way. Is like, well, that's just kind of the way we do it. 
That's the way we write it. Like we're very DIY, like, you know, this, we do everything ourselves. We're making our own videos ourselves, that kind of thing. You know, we're, uh, we're dialing in our own tones ourselves most of the time. And we'll bring in, you know, a drum tech to bring in some nice drums and Ben, our, our producer's phenomenal with guitar stuff. So he's dialing in it, but you know, it's, it's always a teamwork effort kind of thing. And that, that is what makes pure rock and roll pretty beautiful. And I think we are kind of one of the, the last standing rock and roll bands, especially, you know, in Canada, there, there are definitely people trying to do that. And I feel like, like there's a big woman's in like the, the ladies, the young ladies are all ripping guitars now and doing rock bands. So I really love seeing that. So hopefully it just keeps on blossoming. We talked there about how even the delivery of some of the lyrics come across as almost histrionic and theatrical at times. Um, did that, did the the effects on those vocals and those musical arrangements come into your production on uh, on your latest single? I like think that so. That, like, side? Definitely. Like you listen to Price You Pay and, and really the, the lyrics came pretty naturally. I think I started them here. I just wrote a whole bunch and then me and Dan just kind of like edited a, a couple just to, to fit it in. But we really just wanted it to be about like getting back on the road again, cheesy stuff. Like we're back on the road, you know, uh, how is it on the road? And, and, you know, referencing just kind of one of those old, like I want to cruise to this song. I want it to be, you know, going in that direction and like too much time on my hands and all this very simplistic ideas. So listening to those lyrics and all that kind of stuff, just channeling that it's just, it's just a song about getting back on the road. How can we make that fun, accessible, and, and cool and rock and rolly so most definitely and, and listening to those kind of albums and listening to how they like a thin lizzie or whatever like yeah they're, they're cheesy lyrics but that's what the song's about that's what the song's dictating it's it's a song about going back on the road having a friggin burger on the way you know gas is too expensive the drinks are free you know <laughs> but we can't wait to get up there and play the music that's the price you pay though and that, that's really what the song is about is you know the amount of miles we got to do on a van like we just did it you know we were just writing you're driving eight hours to go play in regina and you know driving all night from kamloops because we miss our beds you know <laughs> so we really just kind of channeled into the purity of writing a 70s rock and roll record which was much more honest and much more what's happening with us and what's real and what's 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 going down so I think too yeah. the the uh, sticks and the pro the whole prog thing they got uh, linked to be they're so serious prog music is so serious sticks have a I think a fantastic sense of humor that actually comes out on the album like a band like Rush have a great sense of humor uh, on stage they with the videos and stuff like that but their albums are still very serious sticks there's a there's an underlying humor in a lot of like too too much time on my hands is a great great example of that there's this little dry humor going through it and well even tommy shaw's delivery in that song right oh yeah yeah it's it's just i i feel like it's it's not as serious as people lamented about prog rock and then you know when punk came along it killed all that stuff it's like no the humor was there you just had to be along for the ride and i believe the word you're also looking for is fun fun right yeah. like yeah remember that it's absolutely just, it's just fun you know what i mean yeah. like 
uh, and, and prog rock it's just rock and roll with talented people behind it like so, it's like oh I'm, I'm so sorry that <laughs> we we can play really good and want to throw in a really rad riff that maybe a you know a normal person might not relate to as much as just you know four chords or, or whatever's a little more accessible to to somebody's ear but we're going to get bored and uh, my fingers are going to want to do something crazy and his fingers are going to want to do something cool. And the drummer is going to be like, I'm going to have a panic attack if I don't do a crazy fill in a second. Right. <laughs> yeah. So like, it's just fancy rock and roll really, you know, prog rock. It's like, Oh, we, if we play jazz or we've come from a musical background, perhaps like sticks did as well, or, or we're growing up in that era of a lot of great players, not just anybody could play rock and roll in the seventies. You, you did have to be pretty damn good. Um, well, that's, you know, that's no fault of theirs that they got a word in front of the word rock and roll because they were too good just to be regular rock and roll. Yeah. And they earned it on the road, right? Like right from day yeah. one. And, and it's fun. Like ELO. Like I love ELO. I love wings. That's, that's prog rock and roll. That's, that's fancy rock and roll. That's, that's fun rock and roll to me. Not too terribly serious. Yeah. One of the fun rock and roll songs on this record, uh, Sticks uh, Paradise Theater, for those just tuning in now, uh, is your favorite fun rock and roll ditty on the record? It is going to be probably too much time on my hands just because of that opening riff. Like, I friggin' love the opening riff. It's silly. But the other one was it? Is it She More? Uh, she Cares? Something with She Cares. Yeah. The other, the other Tommy Shaw. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's my thing. Maybe I'm a Tommy Shaw guy. But man, <laughs> like I, I on listening back today, that was one where I was just I was the middle section. I was really really getting into that song. Well, uh, Matt, this is such a great chat and such an awesome record to be chatting about. Uh, thanks for allowing us to rediscover it and uh, and yeah, not not one we were expecting, but one that we thoroughly enjoyed listening to and, and enjoyed our chat today. Well, I'm glad we had enough time on our hands to uh, oh. enjoy uh, enjoy a conversation. And thanks for uh, giving us a platform to talk about Ben Sinister and and sticks together as a team. There we go. There we go. That's terrific. And I like and we, I appreciate the pun. I appreciate the pun. <laughs> well, thank you very much.
So I'm going to admit, Dave, as you probably knew, um, my teeth grinded. I was, oh, oh sticks. Oh, when I first uh, heard that Matt had picked this record, it made sense. As a fan of Ben Sinister, it completely made sense uh, sure. because their sound has has a very, very definitive 70s sound. But the Sticks were a band to me that, um, yeah, I think I was probably one of those people who at many times has kind of written them off. And one of my reasons for writing them off, as I was talking to you earlier about, is they just never seem to have their footing, right? If I listen to early 70s, they sound like a band who's trying to figure out this proggy, we're really good instrument, really good at our instruments thing. And then by the late 70s, they've tapped into, ooh, big power ballady, you know, sting alongs, you know, whether it's Lady or whether it's Come Sail Away work. And that Come Sail Away thing kind of, ooh, okay, I don't, I don't, I don't almost love that. And then, by the time you get to the 80s, their sound is completely different. And then you get to that stuff they did in the early 90s. And it's just like, oh, this is just power ballad <laughs> after power ballad. So I almost just felt they were a band who was trying desperately to fit in. Like that that kid in school who is just like one week he's a jock and the next week he's dressed as a prep and the next week he's in the theater group. And it's like, dude, who are you? What is your identity? And for me, sticks kind of always felt to me like they were trying too hard. That's an interesting take. I don't know. Mm-hmm. To me, they were always just there. You know, okay. uh, they were always. I grew like grew up, and they were just there, and then they. It was. I remember as like a ten-year-old or. What was that? So they did Kilroy '83, I think. By '85, mm-hmm. by '85, they were like defunct. Like they had That's broken right. up That's right. very public disagreements between Shaw and De Young, right? Like, yeah, so, very and, uh, Like to the point where I remember reading that. I remember like, holy crap, these guys just hate each other. Yeah, they might be up there with like like the Smiths for <laughs> yeah. hatred for each other. Like, uh, I mean, they will not will not like they've essentially said it I, I think someone one of the band members said we will literally be on the river sticks when a <laughs> reunion happens like um yeah it's it, yeah they are yeah it was, it was a bad breakup <laughs> yeah so like i say the, to the point where even me at the time minimal knowledge of music this was big news mm-hmm. so they were just always there and when they got back together you know, I agree with you that that album that when they got back together with the young without Tommy Shaw, like that was dreadful. Like, like, uh, show me the way. Right. Just, ugh, just terrible. But when the young left or as the story goes, was forced to leave and Shaw mm-hmm. came back, they just, they got on the tour again and just started playing. And, uh, and that's just, I feel like that's what they've been doing for 20 years now is just on the road recording. But without playing, Dennis, but without Dennis. And right. I'm sh- I think, for years, there were some lawsuits, typical stuff, right? But t- yeah. they, were, they were just always there. And so when when Matt brought this, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll dive back into this. And you know, like almost every song, you know, uh, yeah. She Cares probably sure. was like, and Lonely People were pretty, pretty much the only two I, I wasn't familiar with. And uh, yeah. I remember listening to this years ago, just as you're going through like, Oh, let's see what this album sounded like because you realize, Oh, this is one of their bigger albums. 
Yeah, it's um, I, whereas I only knew like I knew too much time in my hands because it was my sure. always my favorite, uh, easily my favorite uh, song by uh, by Sticks. Uh, it's interesting you you mentioned always being there. Um, I always mix them up with someone else, mm-hmm. and, and what's oddly, Journey. I always mix them up with another <laughs> Chicago band. Oh yeah, Chicago. <laughs> Really? Because and I think it was because I was say, I they were both had, I never had that problem. They were both doing like stuff that was sort of you know, really big instrumentation. But then I always mixed up Dennis De Young and Peter Cetera because they sure. were both kind of doing like these oh wait, they're in a new there's a new movie out and Peter Cetera or Dennis De Young, this is the theme song. Uh who who's doing which, right? So for me they were always there, but there was always this amalgamation of Okay, is this Peter Cetera solo? Is this Dennis DeYoung? Is this Sticks? Is this like mm. there were that? And you're right, there was a few years there where you couldn't go anywhere without, you know, Dennis DeYoung or Sticks, right? Yeah. So it was, it was uh, like they played the same uh, Super X here in town where I saw my first uh, rock concert. Super Tramp. Oh, Super Tramp played. Super same Tramp, same year. Same year. Like that's a <laughs> big ass year. Like Super Tramp on their really they're on their farewell tour cuz they can right? cuz none of these fucking guys can get along. Yeah. And uh so that was a big deal. And but I'll throw them in with you know we mentioned in our chat with Matt like Kansas Super Tramp. There are all these yeah and Foreigner come out of that prog too. Like a couple of guys yeah. from King Crimson were in Foreigner. Yep. Right. And uh, they Which come is at... always so weird to me. Yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> no, it's not. That's a lie. Who says that? Yeah. <laughs> Did Robert Fripp make funny. that up? What? <laughs> yes, he fired. We fired him because he wanted to be uh, in Fauna. So, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's like, even though at, they're starting in 74, think of what happened in 94. So you've got your explosion of grunge in 1991. But by '94, everyone's kind of figured it out. Yep. Yeah, and, I think you're right. same here, right? And you're writing, and you're writing, uh, quote unquote, alternative grunge songs, but they're the most safe, homogenized, alternative grunge songs of all. And so, that was AOR, right? That was with AOR. Music yeah. Came right. So and and so then in '74, when these guys start, they're just picking up on what everyone else has laid down before them. You've had five years of Yes, you've had five years of Crink Crimson, you've had five years of ELP, and everyone's just kind of picking up on that and doing, but just changing the style a little bit. Songs aren't as long, obviously. Yep. Like Half yep. Penny, Two Petty, I think, is the longest song on here. Uh, yeah, yeah at, 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 yep. at almost six minutes, yeah. So it's, they're, they're writing shorter, more concise songs in that pop sensibilities. Mm-hmm, for which, sure you know like and, and journey did that early on uh we talked about jam bands fog hat like rule you, of the 70s, yeah right well and we've got to remember i mean as much as we think of the 70s and we think of you know zeppelin the zeppelins and the and the and the deep purples and the yep. and and rush or whatever the fact of the matter is the top 40 was taken up by you know the Neil Diamonds of the Leo world, right? Sawyer. So, and then you—you yeah, that's right. So now you have a band, these bands coming in and going. Wait a second, we can be amazingly good musicians and make money into that pop music thing. 
and yeah and absolutely make money right and i think you know in retrospect that's what a lot of those bands and that's why aor was such a massive thing at the end of the 70s right well, it, all of those yeah sounds. and it has steely to... dan or, or whoever right yeah i mean you look at steely dan and think man a player is another band i think of right how yeah. great these musicians are delivering really just what are pretty standard pop songs yeah and they could sit if they wanted to they could sit with steve howe and whale just like him right or yeah all the drummers they pulled in for steely dan those guys are just as good as bill bruford and carl palmer yeah. right like they're they're just they're just studio drummers and they know how to play to the music so That's i think good. i really think yeah like sticks made it out of the 70s figuring out we don't have to play long we don't have to be super wanky just because we can no and and radio will play us and especially fm radio kicked in in, yeah. the, in the 70s right? That's right so that's right yeah. where you could 100 like, like god they drop the needle on on side one of this and go for half an hour or yep. 20 minutes at 25 minutes yeah, i guess but minutes. but uh and that's just what they did back then it was okay the, the radio djs played what they wanted and yeah that's how <laughs> that's how I know like six or seven songs on this album backwards and forwards, not because I own the album. It's just because I grew up listening to them. Yeah. And that for me was what was enjoyable. Like, uh, as I said, at first I was a little uh, uh, mm -hmm. scared by it, uh, but listening to it again, it, it was enjoyable to kind of listen to and, and put myself in that position of 1981 and seeing it for what it was. Um, I sometimes think, the con and we had this conversation on the show before when we've talked about concept albums versus kind of loose themes. Yes. Uh, I don't know if the concept of the theater plays out in the lyrics and the, and, and the song craftsmanship, but, but I think it does in the delivery of the songs. Right. Like I think that it's very theatrical, but I kept trying to listen to the lyrics and go, okay, too much time on my hands. Okay. Cause he's without a job. Okay. So I'm going to connect that to the thirties and the depression. Mm -hmm. But then I was like, okay, but I, I'm, I'm kind of lost on where these other ones fit in, in that time frame of this theater. So, I, I mean, so for me, there was a little bit of yeah. gaps in that, yeah. but from a music and production standpoint, what a, I mean, it, it's a super compelling record to listen to and, and tap into. Yeah. Sure. I'm going to say this is not the wall. Right. No, like, 100%. this is not Pink Floyd. This is not even like animals. Right. right. So I would agree. It's 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 its own thing. And yeah, the the threads that connect the songs, I'm gonna say, are pulled pretty tight. Yep. <laughs> and uh yep. and uh may not actually exist, but and but I think that's what happens when you have two or three songwriters and one's kind of got the vision for the album and the other two are but we have our songs too and Okay, yeah. maybe I'll write, I'll change a word in the lyric here and there, etc. You know, and yeah. I think that's what you're dealing with when you have Tommy Shaw and and uh, Dennis DeYoung because you go through their catalog and you're like, well, who who wrote the hit, the most hits? Right, right. And I'm gonna and there's no and, and there's 100 that's DeYoung. Hit after hit after hit. Oh no! Sure. I mean, if you're talking the number one hits, like the highest charting hits, yeah. it's Babe, it's Come Sail Away, it's you know, it comes out. I'm pretty sure it's Dennis Young, but it is. Uh, yes. Yeah, and Dave is absolutely Dennis Young. But you Lady have like, but you have uh, Tommy Shaw, Crystal Ball. You have Tommy Shaw, Renegade. For God's sakes, true. I'm gonna say that's. 
But you have um, the young best of times. Uh, best of times, sure. But also you have Tommy Shaw in previous albums. Um, uh, oh, my God. I win. <laughs> no, it's it's probably my favorites. No, and you know what? I, I get it because I'm actually a bigger Tommy Shaw fan. I actually like Tommy Shaw's delivery more. And he's more. Blue Collar Man. House. Blue Collar Man. Blue Collar Man. It's probably yeah. my favorite. Yeah. Stick song. Well, what's your favorite song on this album? Well, I'm going to start off because I, I felt bad because Matt brought up he really liked She Cares. And I, I'm like, oof, to me that's a real weak spot on the album. This this is where, mm-hmm. like we were just talking about, this is where I think Tommy was just writing for himself. I don't mm. think – I'd have to go through the lyrics again, but to me it, it felt like there was just no link to the album. And I really didn't like the production on it. To me this felt like his first – yeah, and it, to me, it felt like his first crack at a solo song. You know mm, what I mean? I can see that. Yeah, he wrote yeah. it all, maybe produced it all, and like, yeah, and okay, fine, we'll put it in the middle of the album. Um, so I'm gonna say that's a low point. Uh, I didn't mind Snowblind. I know you weren't a big fan of Snowblind. Yeah, that's not fine. Was just I, I, I didn't like the vocal delivery at the start. And um, it's got a bluesy I feel. Thought it, I thought it was, I thought it was really overwrought uh, and a little. Yeah, I thought it was really overdone. Yeah, but uh, come on, all you, all you have to say is too much time on my hand. It's too it's, much time on my hand. Yeah, it's just like, so good. It, it is such a great song. I enjoy rock. I enjoy rock in the paradise as a great as a whole part yep. of that intro yep. with AD. I like half penny. I like half penny too. I actually too. was. Uh, I'm like, oh yeah, this song. It's artwork and, on that is amazing, and I really enjoyed it. So. Yeah. The part of me was going to say, I'll say half penny, two penny, just because I'm, no, it's, I'm a it's true Styx fan. No, man, it's too much time. It's too much time. <laughs> it's such a great song. It is such an awesome song. Uh, no, I agree with you. And um, I will say this, listening to this record um, and, and saying I'm not going to have that I hate classic rock radio thing in my head as I listen to this record. Um, Best of Times is a friggin' pretty incredible song when you're listening to yep. it too yeah uh i mean i get that it's like every single thing dennis DeYoung does is so massively over the top but when you're listening to it and the chord progression is you know sort of similar to babe and similar to lady but when you're listening to it you're like yeah um like i, I read that the producer said this is the strangest hit of the set like he couldn't believe it was a hit too much time but on when my you're hands? List- no, oh. um, the best, oh, best of times. times. Okay. But when you're listening to it, it's like, and it's a pretty well crafted song. Like, no wonder it was such a big hit. Like, it's a, and and again, the the way in which he progresses up to 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 the chorus and his voice and that is is pretty outstanding. Uh, but yeah, hundred percent. Too much time in my hands is just, yeah. it's 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 stellar. <laughs> it's it's, got, it's amazing. It's just got everything. So all three of us, our guest and you and I, all picked that as our favorite. And it just seems so basic. Oh, way to go, guys. You picked the hit, like the biggest hit. Well, too hit. bad. <laughs> I think people need to hear the hit, Dave.
Thanks to Wadi for letting us use his song, In My Heart is Our Theme Song. And thanks to Matt from Bend Sinister for joining us this week. And most importantly, thanks to you for listening to The Sound Effect. If you've enjoyed today's show, please share it on social media and let us know what you think of our show. Word of mouth is much appreciated and is the best way to, uh, to tell people about our shows. Please do that. And remember, there's always a great record out there just waiting to be discovered. So keep listening.